But if you were not with us last week, or just by way of remembrance, we saw the disciples sort of in this limbo period, uh, what should we do, waiting upon Christ, and they went back to fishing. And we saw they came in, they had toiled and labored all night long, and they, uh, they got no catch. Right? They, there was nothing there that they uh, were able to bring in. And they saw Jesus at the shore, unbeknownst to them at first, and he tells them, pull up the net, and they have this great catch. And John says, it's the Lord to Peter. And Peter does what he does and throws himself headlong over the side of the boat and swims that last hundred yards to go be near to his Lord. And so we pick up basically after they have just eaten that meal of broiled fish that the Lord was preparing for them. So John 21 and verse 15, this is the written word of our Lord. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do recognize that your word is true, regardless of what we think about it. Regardless of what the world says, regardless of what skeptics have to say about your word, your word is true. And we come to sit under your word because we believe that. We pray that you might sanctify us by your living word, that you would use this word today to draw all men to yourself, that you might do the work of restoration that we see and behold today in this text, that you might convict of sin, convict weary lambs today that have strayed far from the flock of God, that are here physically but are far from you in their heart. God, we pray that you would work as you please today. This is your word. This is your time. I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase. Pray that you would send your spirit, that he might work through me and in us, and that we would all have ears to hear, hearts to respond and believe and obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but um, I think there's not many more things that are more beautiful than to see a broken, weary, bruised lamb coming back to the shepherd to be restored graciously and mercifully. I don't think there's anyone here in this room, I, don't, I hope, that would stand up and say, I have always been faithful to Jesus. I have always stood fast. I've never let down my Lord. I've never disobeyed. I've never fallen short. I've never fallen away. 
I think we would all probably say quite the opposite, that we fail him, that we fall short, that we have seasons in our life where we're cold and distant. But we're reminded today that the Lord Jesus Christ is gracious with his lambs. And that as we'll see, he loses none, but raises up all those that humbly return to him. So the first point that I want to draw your attention to today is this. It's a bit long, but it's this. The Lord Jesus allows his lambs to be bruised and wounded for their humbling and broken dependence upon him. The Lord Jesus allows his lambs to be bruised and wounded for their humbling and broken dependence upon him. As we consider today Peter's restoration, it's helpful to look back a bit at why he needed to be restored, at the events that took place that led to this time here. So turn with me briefly, if you would, to Luke 22. And in Luke 22, 31 is where I'll start from. What we see here is a prophecy, basically, given by the Lord. He told Peter that he was going to eventually deny him. He had declared that very truth to Peter, and Peter, of course, was having none of it at the time. Luke twenty-two thirty-one, Jesus had said to the apostle Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Sobering words from our Lord for any of us that, as Paul says, think we stand. As he says, take heed lest you fall. One thing that stands out to me in this text is we battle with more than flesh and blood. We battle with more than flesh and blood. There are spiritual forces of darkness at work seeking to sift you and I like wheat. Don't think that Satan is just caught up in the big fish, that he's only going after the likes of the apostles because Peter was going to go on to lead thousands to the uh, kingdom of God. Satan himself may not be after you, but certainly his minions, his demons are at work. As Paul exhorts us and reminds us in Ephesians chapter 6, he's not just after the big fish, but as you sit in your house and do the normal Christian thing of opening up your Bible with your family, with your spouse, with your kids, by yourself, and all of a sudden there's discord between you and your wife, the kids go crazy and are unruly and all this stuff happens and you just want to read the scriptures. We have an enemy that seeks to oppose and sift us like wheat, the very things that we do. Now, sort of a fascinating background here. I don't know what happened. The Lord doesn't tell us. Maybe Satan actually came before the Lord and demanded Peter. Maybe Jesus is just privy to that information because he's Jesus and he knows the work of Satan. But what I want to focus on is Jesus' prayer. What Jesus prays. He prays that his faith not fail. It's the one thing that he prayed for. That in the end, 
he would return and that his faith would be preserved. But everything else was fair game. Right? Similar to Job. Don't touch his flesh. Everything else was fair game. Jesus' prayer was that his faith would not fail. Not that it wouldn't falter. Not that trials and tribulation would not come, but that his faith would not fail. Everything else was fair game. And we see that Jesus allowed Peter to taste and feel the bitterness of denying his Lord. He allowed Peter to be bruised and to be wounded. He allowed him to do the soul-searching that surely would have followed such an event. The questioning of one standing before God. The questioning of one's calling with God. Did I, did I miss something? How could I, such a strong, proud man, deny my own Lord? Our Lord left Peter in his misery, left him in this place of despair. He does not immediately come to him and say, it's okay that you have denied me. He doesn't wink at Peter as, we, as he's being led away to the cross and say, don't worry about it. But he goes to his death, allowing Peter to sit in that reality. He had just denied his own Lord. As you think about a wound that you might have, a gash that needs to be sewed up, and you took some time, you waited to go to the doctor. For that thing to heal, sometimes pain is involved, right? It has to be cleaned. It has to be opened back up. You have to feel the pain so that real healing can come. A long time ago, I used to work for a sandblasting company, and we had hoses that felt like a fire hose that you had to hang on to, truck-mounted air compressor, shooting out sand. I had never felt the business end of that thing that you guys have. And if you got blasted, you had to go to the doctor and have a wire brush scrubbed on your skin to get the sand removed, right? Sometimes when you have healing comes with pain. Restoration comes through pain. If you break your leg and it sort of starts to heal on your own, if you want to heal properly, what has to happen? It's got to snap again, right? The doctor's going to set that. So that's the nice word. He's going to break your leg again, right? To be restored, sometimes you have to go through pain and suffering. And so it is that our Lord allows great failings in the lives of his saints, that our bruises and wounds would have their full effects, that you and I would be humbled and broken before God. We just sang a song, um, I Asked the Lord, one of my favorite songs that I asked Matt to, to sing this week. And uh, you already knew I liked it because I requested it every week at our fellowship. Um, but that song is, is, I think, so much of what our life. The, the, John Newton is the author, and, and the, the, he, he prays to God, you know, just subdue my sin. Take it all away tomorrow. I want to wake up sanctified. I want to wake up a new man, cleansed and whole and patient and godly. Just do it overnight. And he prays that prayer, and he says it seemed like the power of hell was unleashed upon him. That God humbled him and broke him and laid him low. And he cries out to God, are you going to pursue thy worm to death? Are you, have you set out to destroy me? And notice as God speaks back to him in the song, in the song, he says these inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou might find thine all in me seemed that Peter needed 
a lesson to be learned about dependence upon the Lord. He needed to learn that he was not that strong, self-reliant man that he thought himself to be. That if he is going to be used rightly in service of the Lord Jesus, he had to be broken. He had to be humbled. He had to be laid low. And I think the reality of the Christian walk is that you and I have failed the Lord Jesus Christ. We have betrayed him at times. We have denied his clear teaching, his clear commandments. We've ran from his calling as he's calling us to some work, some thing, some sort of faithfulness. We've lived in blatant disregard for his word. We've questioned at times his goodness because of the things that have come our way. We've sinned against fellow image bearers made in his image. Some of us have had great seasons of falling away. Long, cold walks in the desert of Egypt, away from God and away from his people. And beloved, in all of these times, our Lord is doing his work. In all of these times, he is often doing his best work. He does not will, certainly, your sinful actions, but he will most certainly use them to humble you, to break you, to lay you low, to bring you down a notch, a notch, to bruise and wound so that that pride and arrogance and self would be delivered. I mean, think about Peter here. He was a man sort of filled with, with bravado, filled with strength, filled with machismo. And the Lord allowed this mighty fall from grace that he might be humble, that he might see he was not necessarily the man he thought he was, that he had a great need for God, a reliance upon Christ, that he couldn't stand on his own. Or what about David? David, as he sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite and against God, most importantly, was bruised and wounded. God chastened him. The son that was, that was created through that union did not survive. And as David says in Psalm 32, he says, the hand of the Lord was heavy upon me. My bones wasted away until I acknowledged my sin before God. How about Paul? The Apostle Paul says he was taken up into the third heaven and he beheld things with his eyes that man should not utter with his mouth. He saw things that he said, I'm not even going to, in my fallen state, try to communicate to people. And God, in his infinite wisdom and grace to subdue any spiritual pride that might have come or elitism because of what he had seen, gave him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan that he pleaded with God to remove. But God said, your strength will be manifest or my strength will be manifest in your weakness. God bruises his lambs and wounds them and humbles them. And allows us to feel the deep sense of our fallenness and our failings to bring dependence upon him. Number two, the Lord Jesus uses those bruises, uses our failings to restore his lambs and to confirm his calling in them. To restore his lambs and to confirm his calling in them. There's something very sweet here in this, in this story that I had not noticed in the past that I that I saw a few uh, different men pointed this out. But there's a great, beautiful picture of Peter's restoration in this fire. 
that we see in John chapter 21. Two times in John's gospel, there is the mention of a charcoal fire. Two different occasions. One of them's here. The other one was back in John 19. And you remember it, the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is arrested. The, dis the disciples disperse and Peter sort of hangs back and he follows this band as they've taken his Lord and they go to the palace of the high priest, the home of the high priest. Jesus is inside and Peter enters the gates of the high priest on that cold night. And there are the men that just arrested Jesus. Jesus is inside. He's being abused. He's being mistreated. He's being falsely condemned. And what does Peter do? He stands and warms his hands at that charcoal fire of the enemy. The very men that just arrested his Lord is the very men that he is standing with around that fire. And he, of course, denies ever knowing the Lord three times. He curses. He invokes a curse upon himself. And then he hears the rooster crow. And as he stands by that fire, the rooster crows and he is reminded of what the Lord said. And in one account, we see that Jesus is being let out and he catches the eye of the Lord. And he knows in that moment that he's failed his Lord. And he weeps bitterly and he flees from that place in guilt and in shame. And we see now the mention of the charcoal fire as our Lord sits by that fire, inviting Peter back into communion, back into fellowship at the very place that he had denied his Lord just a few days prior while he was being condemned. Let's look at the restoration then of Peter again in 21.15. He says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. He said to him, feed my sheep. I just want to add bold statement from Peter. He, he, he knew it to be true. You know everything. You know that I love you. Praise God for that. The three times Peter had denied even knowing Christ, denied being his servant. And three times Jesus makes Peter verbalize his commitment to the Lord Jesus. Do you love me more than these men do? That's how I understand those words. Do you love me more than these? And as Peter communicates back his love for the Lord, each time he is commissioned to shepherd Christ's flock. If you love me, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. You know now, Peter, that they're weak, that they're frail, that they need a guide, that they need a shepherd. You know now, Peter, that even the strongest looking sheep can fall. Peter has a renewed calling here upon his life. We see a renewed sense of his own love. I think many of you here probably know and have experienced the sweetness of being restored to the Lord Jesus. 
the humility of the prodigal returning home as the father's arms are open, embracing the weary, troubled sinner to receive, not begrudgingly. The father doesn't say, come and grovel at my feet. Tell me why I should accept you back. But the father is with his arms open. He, he slaughters the fattened calf and he has a robe and a ring to place on his son that's been lost in sin. The overwhelming mercy that the backslider experiences being received into the arms of Christ and back into the fellowship within the church. The renewed sense of love when we lift our heads from our failure and bow before the throne of grace. Christ has mended his weary lamb today in our story. He has restored Peter from his fall, from his denial. Maybe you've come here today to hear the word, to sit, and you come as a bruised and weary lamb of the Lord Jesus. Maybe the Lord has allowed you to taste the bitterness of your own sin. He's allowed you to sit in that place for a season, to see the destruction that it brings into your life, to see the change, not for good, that it's brought into your soul and into your walk with the Lord. Maybe the Lord Jesus has allowed you to feel the pain of poor choices, the destruction that they bring, the, the disjunction that they cause. Maybe he's allowed you to sense the, the, the coldness as you've drifted away from the Lord, the, the, the turning as it feels at least of his countenance, that he is not near to you. Maybe Christ has brought his rod of discipline as he chastens those that he loves as he lovingly corrects and steers his sheep, that you might be humble, that you might return to him. If that is you, my word for you today is, oh, sinner, come home. Return to the good shepherd. I know, I know personally that physical presence, a body in a pew, does not mean communion with the Lord Jesus. Presence in his church does not mean that a heart is near the Lord God. And I know full well that a man can sit in a pew with a church face on and his heart be cold and distant from the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to share a story with you that's not original to me. I heard the story from a, a preacher named Paul Washer. There was a young, uh, there was a woman in Brazil who had a daughter. And she lived in a rural community, and her daughter was very beautiful. And they were a ways not too far from Rio de Janeiro. And she knew the pull that the glitz and glamour of Rio had upon the young people. And she knew full well what would happen for a beautiful girl like her daughter if she was drawn in to that place. And she had prayed, and she has worried that her daughter would one day be called, be taken away, go and try to find out the taste, the, the things of the world. And one day the mother came home and there was a note and it said, Mom, I've gone to Rio to make a life. And the mother wept and was grieved. And over time, the mom saved all that she could and sold all that she could and worked hard and had a bunch of pictures of her daughter printed. And on the back, she wrote a note to her daughter. And she traveled to Rio 
And she went to all the clubs, all the discotheques, all the places young people would gather. And she put those signs, that picture of her daughter. And she looked and she looked and she looked and she never found her daughter. And one day after everything was gone, her finances were gone, she hung her head and she went back home. And one day, one night, the daughter was walking with a man. She had become a prostitute. And as she was walking, she saw a mirror. And in the corner of the mirror, something caught her eye. And it was a picture of herself as a young girl. And she saw that picture and she looked in the mirror and she saw the devastation of sin. She saw how it had changed her, how her innocence had been snatched away from her, how her youth had been sucked from her. And she, 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 she departed from the man and she grabbed that picture. And on the back was the words from her mother. And it said, my daughter, I love you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care who you've become. Come home to me. Return to me, my daughter. I love you and I'm longing for you. Listen to me, church. It doesn't matter what you've become today. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. The Lord Jesus says, come to me all that labor, that are heavy laden, all that have a burden. Don't sit in a pew with a church face on when your heart is distant from God, but return today that you might be restored, that you might be renewed, that you might have that sense of renewal in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you might be refreshed by the nearness of Jesus. I've sat in a pew battling sin, hiding sin. It is a grievous place to be, and God was gracious and kind to restore and to renew. Jesus restores his saint today, his lamb, to, to full service, full standing. And we see next for Peter that loving Jesus meant feeding his flock and fulfilling his calling. Feeding his flock and fulfilling his calling. What does Jesus do? He addresses the very thing that was questioned. Do you love me? He had denied even knowing the Lord. And he questioned the very, that very love. And so Jesus asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Every time that Peter responds, Jesus responds with a commission. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. We get a beautiful picture of how our Lord understands the ministry of a pastor. We see firstly as Jesus commissions um, Peter to be his under-shepherd. We see that a pastor is a shepherd. A pastor is a shepherd. This is the picture given in Scripture, right? This is a picture of our Lord. He is our good and faithful shepherd. He leads his sheep to still waters, to green pastures. He goes before them with his rod that comforts us. A shepherd is to watch out for, to protect to rule and to govern the flock of God. And a pastor then is to be an under-shepherd of the Lord Jesus, to care for the flock, to protect the flock, to stand in the gap for the flock. But we also see in these words that Jesus understands a pastor to be a teacher. Man shall not live, our Lord says, on bread alone, 
but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Peter, as an under-shepherd of Christ's lambs, was to feed the sheep a steady diet of the word, to give them the full counsel of God, that they would be sure to receive the nutrients that their souls required, that he would feed his lambs, feed their souls, not on worldly, cheap junk food. You know, we, we, we often feed today in this mass um, food industry or what have you, you know, cheap grains and whatnot to animals to pump them up, to send them to the slaughter, keep that machine going, right? But that food that we feed them is, is really garbage. It makes them fat so they can go and be sold. And so it is that a Christian can be filled with junk food for the soul, right? food that does not actually nourish. You and I could live on top ramen, but you're not going to be all that healthy, right? Maybe when you were in college, you had to do that. You're not going to be all that healthy. And you can get a short motivational speech with no scripture, with no Christ, and leave and live, but a believer will be malnourished and starving and impoverished. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Give them the food that their souls require. And we see lastly and certainly that a pastor is a sheep. Pastor is one of the flock. Jesus says there in verse 19, after he restores Peter, he says, follow me. Follow me. Yes, Peter, you will tend to my flock. Yes, you will feed my sheep. But you will do so as you are shepherded by the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus. Any pastor, I would say, beloved, is useless if he is not first and foremost seeking to be shepherded by the good shepherd himself. We see this beautiful restoration that takes place. Interesting here is we see what Jesus does. We might think it enough for Christ to say, you're in good standing again, Peter. We're okay now. I'm not, I'm not going to cast you out. You're, you're still my child. But he says more than that. He says, feed my sheep. He says, tend my lambs. He entrusts his lambs into Peter's care. And we might expect his time of service to Christ to be over. We might expect it because Peter had failed the Lord. He had not measured up to the standard of a perfect shepherd that it was his opportunity to serve was over. But it seems to me quite the opposite. It seems that part of his training was falling on his face. Part of his seminary course from the Lord Jesus Christ was that he would be broken and humbled and laid low so that he could then serve the Lord his God in humility. The bruises that Christ allowed him to suffer, they bore fruit because they humbled this once proud man. Now maybe you're here today and you have, you know that you've been restored by Jesus. You had a time in your life of falling away. You had a time in your life of, of turning your back on the Lord. But you've sat ever since on the sideline. Now, clearly there are sins that disqualify a man. And I don't want to shy away from that. But maybe you, in your own strength, have deemed yourself unworthy to serve the Lord Jesus, to be used by God because of something that happened in the past. 
Dear Christian, the Lord Jesus Christ has not redeemed you to be sidelined. He has not redeemed his church to be spectators, to come and sit and only to receive. But he calls saints to be participants, to take part in the work of the ministry, to serve the Lord our God with heart, soul, mind, and strength. So if you've sat sidelined because of something in the past, I exhort you today, repent, turn to Christ, and follow him in obedience. Notice that Peter does not quarrel with Jesus and say, I'm unworthy. I can't do that, Lord. No, what does Peter do? But he follows Christ to his death. He follows Christ to his death. Peter did deem himself unworthy. He deemed himself unworthy to die in the same way that his master died. And as it spoke of his arms being spread out, we understand that to mean his crucifixion. John was alive during the time Peter died. At this point, believed that he had ceased to live. And tradition tells us that Peter refused to be crucified as Christ did. He asked to be crucified upside down because he deemed himself unworthy to die as his Lord died. But he died as a martyr. He died giving his life to service to Jesus. This man that had outright denied ever knowing the Lord to a young servant girl. And yet God raised him up and used him mightily for the kingdom of God. Church, you and I certainly have been bruised by Christ and for Christ. And there are times that in his grace and in his abundant mercy, he allows us to feel the repercussions of our actions. He allows us to taste the sting of our own sin for our good, for our growth, for our renewal. But as we are bruised, we're reminded of the fact that he was bruised for us. That by his stripes, by his wounds, you and I have been healed. Peter would go on to say later in his life that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds, his bruises, we have been healed. I want to leave you with this again. Oh, sinner, come home today to Christ. If your heart today is distant from the Lord, we're going to take, it's a Lord's Supper today. And we always take a time of, of silent prayer. And I want to urge you, if your heart is distant from God, if you've been going through the motions, do not take the Lord's Supper in that state. Get on your knees during that time before the Lord your God and find renewal in Him. Repent of whatever has taken place, whatever's caused you to go astray, and be renewed in Jesus Christ. He awaits to restore you. The Father does not stand begrudgingly with His arms crossed, wondering if He might desire to restore you, but He receives all those that come to Him humbly in repentance. Flee to Christ, O weary and troubled saint, and find renewal. Let me pray.